This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 164 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we find out that Camelot is actually in Arizona. <laughs> and then we settle back and enjoy sage wisdom from our friend, Dr. Madison Siemens, and he was a presenter at Movement 2020, so that'll be really fun. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And joining me from Ocala, Florida, is my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How is it? It's good, actually. It's good. I know that's almost a dicey question these days. We're still in <laughs> no, so the, the middle dicey, of COVID. The dicey question is, where is it? Don't ask that. Uh huh. Yeah. Really. Yeah. We're all at home, and we all don't know what we're doing either. So <laughs> the, the same thing we're doing yesterday. So you guys have have all come down from the high that was Movement Twenty Twenty. Yeah. 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 Really fun. Remind really every, fun. Remind everybody again how they can watch the recorded version because you did it virtually this year, and folks could get virtual tickets and be interactive. But you also recorded the whole darn thing with a little help. Wait from it. Horse and Country TV, so people mm-hmm. can actually go to the Movement 2020, even if they couldn't be there live. How do they do it? That's right. They can watch it over and over again. If they go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the tab, The Movement, and what you'll see in the dropdown is a Vimeo link, and a Vimeo is where we house our last three movements. It's, you know, we, we started in 2018, 19, now 2020 is up there, so we're really, really feeling like we pulled it off. We couldn't believe we pulled a fast one. And we actually got this thing up in less than two months, which took us the last couple of years. It took us a couple of months to edit it and everything. But Horse and Country TV did an amazing job of on the fly. They edit, you know, in mm-hmm. a big ball of this thing in front of them that shows all the photos. And it's just amazing technology. And they get to pick and choose. So it's edit on the fly. There's probably some really good technical name for them. <laughs> but it's, it was really beautiful to see it played back, too, because, you know, I'm there live. I don't I don't know what it looks like in the camera, really. Right. Exactly. And it's a very different point of view when you're yeah. immersed in it and when you watch it on a screen, either as a producer or later when you're watching the finished product. It is very yeah. different. And that's pretty cool. And it was really cool, really cool with Mustangs. And we had yoga with Mustangs. We had uh, Mustangs and free, you know, like Liberty training. And we had um, just people should go there and see all the different subjects. And Dr. Siemens was one of them. And it was how equine vision affects their behavior. So as a trainer or even as an owner, you know, a lot of things we don't consider. And Dr. Siemens does because he's really, really bright. And, And he was having fun with the other presenters too. So they were parlaying ideas off each other. It was really fun. Of course, we had Jamie Jennings there from the Horses in the Morning show, and she's playing ideas off and knows Dr. Siemens. So that part was really, really fun. And coming out of it, I mean, now my attention is focused on how do we keep the momentum going for people being able to access horses? Because there's so many things being shut down. And that was our whole goal was darn it, we are just not going to cancel this thing if we can help it because so many people are denied horse shows and horse experiences, horse, you know, events. And so we try to make it as interactive as possible so people could even, you know, they could 
text in their questions. So then somebody would text a question and say, could you ask uh, Temple Grandin what she thought about, you know, doing this with a horse or a child or whatever. And then I'd ask her the question. She would answer oh, it. Fun. And then somebody else would say, oh, but what about this? So we were really having a conversation with Temple and the audience and Monty and Dr. Siemens. And it was just, re- I mean, the word interactive really came alive. It, it really so came alive. That so way. you go to really moneyroberts.com, click on the movement button, and you can find it all right there. Really exercise your gray matter with, mm-hmm. with watching that. And our other guest today, Hannah Brisso, mm-hmm. so much fun listen, listening to you guys chat. And it, you have a, a sense of hope. It's like, oh, things are going to be better. A great person to listen to. But before we get to our two regular guests this week, we had an extra guest this time. We don't usually usually have two, but we had a third guest this week, Christy Landwehr, and she's going to talk a little bit about the Certified Horsemanship Association and the upcoming equine facilities management uh, course that's coming up at Flags Up Farms in beautiful California. So let's get right to it. Do it. Well, welcome, Christy Landwehr. I'm glad to have you back. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited to be here, Debbie. Thanks for having me on. Great. It's a girl's day here. I got my producer, Jen, on and Christy Lambert. And we wanted to tell everybody about something we're doing in September. So if you're listening to this afterward, you'll get a chance to do another one. It'll be fine. But right now, we, we this is going to come out um, about a month or so before our equine facility management course certification clinic that we're having at Flag is Up Farms. And I thought, who best to tell us about the Equine Facility Management Certification from Certified Horsemanship Association? Christy Landwehr. I went to the top. Ah, you cracked me up. Well, thank you. But I'll tell you, it takes a village. I don't I don't feel at the top very often. Sometimes I feel <laughs> smashed by it all, but it's good. Oh, <laughs> you have broad shoulders. You really, you're amazing. <laughs> you are amazing. But I wanted to tell people, I mean, it sounds a little intimidating to me, frankly. I mean, the EFM at CHA and all that stuff, and we're just horse girls. So you have to like, not dumb it down for us. We're not silly, but, you know, tell us what the equine facility management certification means to me as a horse person. I like, you know, give us some of the advantages. I guess you'd call it the features and benefits of it because, I mean, I like the knowledge, but how do I know I don't already kind of have it? So can you tell us why Certified Horsemanship Association started that certification? I sure can. And I'll start you off with, you know, in the world of acronyms, welcome to the horse industry. This was originally the barn manager certification, but then we realized that BM was probably Ah. not the best acronym to use. (laughs) (laughs) So it quickly became the EFM, Equine Facility Manager Certification. And it's for anybody that runs a barn of any size. So whether you have your own backyard program where you just have a few horses and maybe some boarders, or whether you're running a huge training facility, whether it's, oh, an all-breed discipline, maybe a reining barn or hunter barn, or maybe you're running like a paint horse association barn because you're doing paint shows. Maybe you run a camp, maybe you run intercollegiate equestrian program, you know, at your college or university. 
this is a certification for you. So we actually do not get on horses during this one. There's a level one through four, and there is a written test at every level. So there is that, and you have to get at least 80%. We, we believe in 80 or higher on those. But then once you pass those, then you're doing skills for us. So you're showing us everything from the basics of putting on a halter and leading and tying, all the way up to trailer loading, putting on a poultice wrap, taking vital signs, all kinds of things in regards to the horse management side. And then we go into the, do you understand nutrition, the concentrates, the supplements, um, the difference between alfalfa and timothy and other types of grasses, things like that. And then there's also a lot of like confirmation form to function. So we walk around the barn. So there at Flag is Up, we'll walk around and we'll say, this horse's confirmation would be suited best to what discipline based on what he has going on, things like that. And then we end up with the full-blown equine facility manager who's de dealing with all the HR, the human resource side of things, Debbie. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, is this budget working? So we're going to give you, for example, a budget that's going into the red and it's not doing well. And you have to create scenarios to make it better and to put it in the black. So a lot of staff training and interactions of staff and, em and employee employer happens at that level. So it's a wide variety of things. Right. And it's like a business degree. Look at that. I mean, with horses involved, which I love. <laughs> yes. And it's three short days. In right? three short. Well, I I'm not short wouldn't be the word. I mean, right. you guys Three rather hard. long days, <laughs> <laughs> but they're fun. I mean, you didn't want it to end really. We had meals together and everything was, it was really fun. I mean, I got to just kind of like be fly on the wall, uh, but this will be our second foray in, in September. So it's September 11th through 13. I'm really excited about that. But some of the things that the reason we're putting a person or two, if I can get one from South Africa to get here, um, which is hard in this COVID era, um, I'm going to have two in there, one for sure. And what I told her that I read on your site is, hey, are you looking for eventually running an equine facility, whether it be your own or somebody else's? So you need a job, you need good insurance rates. You know, this is what I was telling her is perfect scenario for her because she's the one that I've got signed up is young, just coming out of vet school, actually, but really wants to get into the horse training side of it more, went through vet school because she could. <laughs> but, but I've been telling her about what I was calling like those features and benefits because it's so much more than just your own barn. And the cool part for me was watching you guys, the, the, these are not really students. These guys are just showing what they got. Um, you could be a student, I suppose. Isn't that right? Sure. You can come in with not much knowledge um, and be able to definitely learn a lot throughout the three days, but achieving a level might be a little harder. This is more for the professional who comes in having already known quite a bit about horses and quite a bit about management of them and taking care of them. And what's nice about this is you don't have to keep coming back to achieve a different level. So let's say somebody comes in and they get their level one. They can certainly come back later and maybe go all the way up to a level four. They've been working in the industry a long time or this very first time in can get their level three and four. So it truly is based on where they're at when they come in. Love it. So you can just power through that if you've got the knowledge and ability. And what I loved about it was hearing these two, these professionals talk to each other and come up with ideas because you just lay it out there. Okay, solve the problem. Here's what we we throw at you. Here's the challenge. And there were different ways at it, which I think is brilliant because everybody comes out then maybe even learning something new that they never would have come up against, right? There's a lot of good sharing in between. 
Very much. And I think the networking afterwards is also huge. They end Mm -hmm. up, you know, we share emails and phone numbers with each other. And there's a lot of networking that takes place months and even years after the Mm -hmm. certification. Nice, nice, good. Well, tell us a little bit about Certified Horsemanship Association so we have a little context, too, of what you guys do. Sure. So we're the largest certifying body of equine professionals in North America. Uh, We certify primarily riding instructors and equine facility managers, but we also have a vaulting program, a driving program, and a trail guide operation program. And we do this with um, hands-on certifications throughout the year, of which, of course, one is when we're going to be there at Flag is Up. And we normally do about 80 a year. This has been a rougher year, of course, for those, um, but normally we do 80 a year. And then for those that are not equine professionals but just interested in our educational materials, we have many manuals on our website, many uh, webinars, many uh, streaming videos, and all kinds of education on just becoming a better horse person in regards to how you take care of your animal and how you ride them and those types of things. Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, your website is just a resource is really what it is. People should go there. You guys have been around, what, 50-ish years? We have. Yes, we were developed in 1967, so quite a while ago. So we yeah. are definitely over 50 years at this point. Yeah. And and you've been innovating in this crazy COVID year too. Tell us a little bit about your innovations of what you've you're going to do later this year, I think, too. Yeah. So we've started with uh, we started with weekly member chats that went really well that were virtual. And then we went to monthly member chats where we bring a person on to kind of do some education and it's all free to our members. And then they get to share their webcams with us. And there are some of them are in their house. Some of them are in their barn. Mm-hmm. Some of them show the cat, the dog, the horse. So that's <laughs> been fun. And we normally have a big international conference that we do face-to-face. And the reason why our conferences are so different is people get to get on top of horses that are provided by the university or college or wherever we end up having it. And this year, due to COVID, we decided, you know, it probably would be best to be virtual. So we will have our virtual conference on Friday, October the 30th. And anyone is invited to be a part of that. It'll be eight hours instead of our normal 24 hours. But we're still really excited about that. And we're going to have a big online silent auction an online um, annual meeting and an online award ceremony. So brand new territory oh. for us, but we're looking forward to it. Awesome. Are the Halloween costumes optional? That's the next yes. day I know, but <laughs> I, know. Fun. I think people should do it. I do. Let's vote that. Well, that's great. So how do people get a hold of you? How do they get signed up for the equine facility management certification and how do they find your website? So we just have a brand new website. Go check it out at CHA.horse. And when you get on there, you go up to the top, you'll see two logos. One is to find an equine professional or accredited facility near you. And the other one is to find our certifications. Click on find a certification. You could do it by date in September or by location in California. There's a registration button and you'll be all set. So we hope you can come. It'd be a pleasure to see everybody. Yeah, great. And be a pleasure for us, too, to have to host you guys. Uh, we would love to see you coming down the road. And we love having new faces, too. Maybe we'll even get some returning faces. It'll be really fun. And I'm glad to get to see you. We're going to have a glass of wine around the kitchen table, right? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm really excited. I've got Kim and Lisa on again from Finish Line Fencing. And today, you guys, I wanted to tell you that I'm getting lots of great feedback from the DIYers. And um, those are the do-it-yourselfers. And, uh, you know, I'm actually inspired to be a DIYer after listening to this. But, you know, they're they're actually putting things together like they want to do a round pin or they want to do a track for their horse in the backyard. So I noticed on your shop that you have like all the parts and pieces. Can you tell us a little bit about the shop and how comprehensive it is. Absolutely. So we do have a full shop page on our website um, with all of the finish line, finish line 
all spools, coils, and all of the accessories needed to install, um, and all of the post attachments as well. We do carry um, the electric, um, a few options of that as well. Um, you can also, when you're getting your order together, we are more than happy to get you a post quote as well. Just give us a call um, and we can get all of that information, different quotes for you on different types of posts. Um, we are definitely here to, to work with you and, and make this experience so enjoyable. And um, just so your fence looks beautiful once it's done, you'll be really happy. So you can give us a call, um, order all the supplies, or if you end up going with an installer, have your installer give us a call. Um, and we can, uh, we work with new installers all the time. Good. Okay. So you can walk us through making a beautiful fence. How do people get a hold of you? Find us at finishlinefence.com. Um, you can find our Facebook page. It's Finish Line Fence, or just give us a call um, at 877-625-6100. Volunteer coordinator and riding instructor Hannah Brisso began volunteering at Camelot in 2010, ultimately joining the Camelot staff in 2013. She is a PATH International Certified Therapeutic Riding Instructor, a PATH International Certified Driving Instructor, and a Certified Riding Instructor through the American Riding Instructors Association in Hunt Seat and Dressage. She's also a registered yoga teacher through the Yoga Alliance. Hannah holds a BA in Human Services from the College of St. Mary and a Master of Arts degree from the Arizona School of Professional Psychology. Hannah grew up riding and competing in hunt seat and dressage in Nebraska prior to moving to Arizona for graduate school. An alumni of the Meredith Manor International Equestrian Center, Hannah has led pony club, taught beginning and intermediate riding lessons, and held horsemanship summer camps, too. Well, welcome, Hannah Brisso. I'm so glad to have you on Horsemanship Radio. Where are you hailing from today? I am in Scottsdale, Arizona. I love that area, but it's getting a little warm there. So uh, d is that where Camelot Therapeutic is actually, or are you at home? Um, yes, I'm actually at Camelot Therapeutic Horsemanship right now um, in the north part of Scottsdale, kind of just edging towards the town of Cave Creek. That's right. Everybody knows that's just the, the swanky area. I love that part of town. That's you go there to go shopping, and but there's a lot of horses out there too, which is really fun. There yeah. are. Yeah. Do you head for the hills in Arizona about this time of year or do you, did you, you hang in there with that heat? I am year round. Unfortunately, wow. horses still need care all yeah. summer long. So I'll be here. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. So you started off at Camelot Therapeutic as a volunteer and then you went to staff, but I'd like to start back a little bit. I always like to know your horsey background too. Did you grow up with horses? I did. My parents took us trail riding from the time we were just tiny babies. My mom might have actually been pregnant with my brother Aww. when we were trail riding. And I can remember sitting in a Western saddle in front of my mother or my father and my brother in front of the other. Mm -hmm. And he was just a little guy and he would fall asleep during the trail rides and just sleep the entire way. So he never actually got into horseback riding, but I continued for many years <laughs> until this day. Is that right? Now I'm thinking Arizona Western Saddle. Did you? Yeah? No, no. Yeah. Um, although Arizona is very Western. No, we were in Minnesota. I grew up in Nebraska, uh -huh. but we would spend our summers in Minnesota. All right. So you stuck with horses the whole time. There wasn't this lapse like a lot of us had that when they went to school or something, you got to stick stick with it, huh? 
Yeah, it was a very short break, I think two years when I was in graduate school. I was not actively working with horses, but I was living on a property that housed horses. That's great. That's great. We uh, There's a lot of us out there who are envious of being able to stay with horses the whole time and uh, a lot of people who are aspiring to get into horses. So you've got such a varied background and a depth of knowledge, too, that you are a, you're a real find for Camelot, I'm sure, this therapeutic that you're you're still working for now at, on staff in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell me how you took the direction. I mean, a lot of horsey people, we're a little selfish that way. We just want to ride our horses all the time and not, you know, have to sacrifice for it. But you're spending a lot of time helping a lot of other people with those horses. What is it that you recognized in horses or people that you wanted to take that direction? You know, my college and my graduate studies were all in human services and in counseling. So I was naturally driven to help people. I had done some volunteering in Nebraska with a therapeutic riding center and then eventually went on to a school on the East Coast to really learn how to teach horseback riding, not just ride, but how to teach it. And while I was there, people kept saying, you should really look into therapeutic horseback riding as a career. And I pushed against it, pushed against it, not really understanding what it entailed. And once I found Camelot, came back to Arizona, found Camelot, started volunteering, I realized it really is this perfect meld of being able to help people in a very tangible way and be around horses, which are just fantastic. Oh my gosh. Do you go around playing that Camelot song all the time around there? (laughs) You just described it. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Was the school that you went to, because I I think we should give them a plug here for encouraging you. Was that the the Meredith Manor? Yeah. Meredith Manor International Equestrian Center in West Virginia. Oh, I'd never heard of it, but is that, is it pretty well known? Is it just my, my remiss or is it a it is, you know, it's huh? been around for, oh goodness, oh, 50 years. I'm just making yeah. that up. But uh, 40 to 50 years they've been there and they house 150 horses. They have about that many students each year. And it is essentially a trade school. They have on and off had relationships with a local university to create an associate's degree program. But people go to learn to teach horseback riding, train horses, or to become a farrier or equine massage therapist. Fabulous. Well, we got to encourage that. That's great. So wear your t-shirt around all the time so we get more people going there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, so, you know, some of the meaningful moments that I think we have on Horsemanship Radio are when people just start to describe what it's like to work with people and horses together. And it sounds like that this that's sort of the center of the target for you. But you have a very background. So can you give us what you thought was that moment where it wasn't just encouragement from other people. There must have been an affirmation in your mind where you knew you wanted to do that. Oh, goodness. There's so many. Every moment, basically, in this industry has been one of those moments. But I recently, working with a gentleman who had a very successful career as a contractor and spoke many different languages and became paralyzed after a stroke and lost his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then his ability to drive a vehicle. All, all of his freedoms, essentially, had been taken away. And he's a very determined individual, really just amazing person. But having him on horseback after a while 
was unsafe. He was leaning too far to one side, not recognizing the paralyzed side was mm-hmm. drifting. And that was his one joy. I mean, just he would hitchhike to get here if he didn't have a ride. His oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we were able to reinstitute our carriage driving program. And not only has he been able to independently drive our horse, our biggest draft horse, able to have the horse trot in the cart, he's able to take the horse around the property as though he were driving a car. And it's yeah. that to me has just been absolutely goosebump inducing yeah. every time I think about it. That is an awesome story. Yeah, absolutely. That that ticks all the boxes, too, for him, too. That must have just brought joy back into his life. That's absolutely. amazing. For him yeah. and for his family, yes. Yeah, and the horse. I mean, did, does he get along with this big draft, too? Or oh, are they, yes. they buds now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. That. It's very sweet. Oh, goodness. So sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you're going to stick with Camelot. That's awesome. What are some of the things that make unique attributes of Camelot because you know there's a lot of therapeutics out there that are that are struggling and I think sometimes they just need to have a real mission statement a real niche where they are does Camelot have something like that we do we absolutely do so Camelot was founded in 1983 by a woman who has a disability she's paralyzed from the knees down and from the elbows down. And her mission, which we still stand by, was to give individuals with physical disabilities the right to risk, the right to ride a horse and possibly fall off, possibly get their foot stepped on. So we really hold true to that statement that anyone who comes here, they need to want to learn to ride horses and learn about taking care of horses and they have to have a physical disability that would not allow them to receive the service somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Our entire property is wheelchair and walker accessible, so the students can get the horses from the pastures, they can lead the horse up to the ramp, they can use the automatic lift to help uh, regain that integrity of mounting and dismounting without tons of volunteers having to help, although the volunteers do love to be here as well. So yes, we do have that niche. That is. So you mean that the actual people, your guests, go out to the pastures, collect the horses and bring them back in? They can. Yes, they absolutely do. So depending on now, sometimes volunteers do accompany them and help to whatever measure the student needs. But yes, they are involved in every bit of preparing the horse to ride or drive and every bit of putting the horse and the equipment away. Fabulous. You know, because I know, and maybe it's because we're in a pretty populated area, but most of the therapeutics here don't even have pasture. Or, you know, it's a it's a great thing if you can have pasture. So is that is that unique to you guys in your area too? You know, it is actually, now that you are saying that, it is. We have a 14 and a quarter acre property that, again, mm-hmm. unique to us back In the 90s, our founder was able to, with a group of very committed volunteers, raise the money and purchase outright. So we have a pretty big, in this area, parcel of land, and we are able to not only have our riding trails completely fenced in, but we also have six separate pastures for our horses. Mm. How nice. That is, so I know that you're you guys are usually on a budget. I mean, I know every nonprofit and every therapeutic is on some tight, tight budget. How did you guys raise the funds uh, and how do you maintain those pastures in Arizona? <laughs> now, they aren't in your head. You're thinking grass pasture. 
Uh oh, yeah, right, true. <laughs> I've got to clear my throat. No, um, so the, maybe if I say turnout, they are turnout okay. that do not have any kind of planting in them, and we maintain them with a soft uh, shaving or grinding type bedding. So if the horses would like to lay down, they can. And if they, you know, if a horse needs to come into a stall, we do also have the stalls for the horses. Sure. But, That's yeah. great. That's great. Now, one of the people that told me about Camelot, that a friend of mine, Kim, said that you guys have put in a really great fencing and it was affordable and durable for the Arizona air. So tell me about your finish line fencing. Yes, we have finish line fencing, which we absolutely love. And because we didn't just make one large turnout or pasture, we needed to, to make many different, mm-hmm. I'll call them panels to separate. So we needed something that would not only be affordable, but that would be easy for us to install and that could also hold up to our Arizona summer. Any of the PVC options are just going to become brittle and crack and break and become unsafe. So using the finish line fencing was really the absolutely best option for us wanting to have something affordable, easy to install, and also safe for the horses. Yeah. Is it safe for the kids, too? You, you have children out there as well as adults, yeah? We do. We have children as young as seven, and sometimes siblings or grandchildren will be out as well. So we do need to have fencing that comes all the way down to the ground. I think our lowest strand is about six inches off of the ground and then builds its way up. But yes, so that way the, the children can grab it. It's not too hot, but they can't get through. They're not. There's no sharp edges they're going to get hurt on. So, mm-hmm. yes. I've known a few kids that would challenge you on that, but yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, they are supposed to be being watched by adults. Yeah, that's oh, a good that's point. A <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, th- tell us more about how people find out about Camelot, and I hope people will have it on their hearts to uh, maybe even support some of the things that you're doing. I know you had to cancel your April big fundraiser, and I'm sorry about that. There's just such crazy times right now, but um, tell tell people where they can find you. Oh. Thank you so much. So we did take that that fundraiser virtual, and there is information and videos and all kinds okay. of things that we were able to create virtually on our website, which is www.camelotaz.org. And the website has just a ton of information as well as how you can contact me or Mary, our executive director, or any other staff that are, are present at Camelot. We also have a Facebook page, which we try to keep very current and updated with horse happenings and people happenings. So either good, of those. Good. Do you have to do that social media stuff too, you poor thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we break it up. I do quite a bit of it. I've gotten much more comfortable over these past couple of months with some of the Facebook Live type ah, features. Good, good. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you're doing with the horses during this quiet period. Are you doing anything to sort of plow in your skill sets, um, like maybe social media beefing up, but what are you doing with the horses to keep them sharp, you know, and, and around people? Our horses are so lucky. They typically have a little bit of a respite over the summer, but because they got that break early during all of this craziness, we have gone back to a very light work schedule, just getting them out every morning, making sure that there's no cut scrapes and bruises. And everyone's getting a light lunge or being led around in the arena. 
since we are really focusing now on our driving program again, we are driving our two little driving guys a couple times a week in our covered arena early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And acclimating the horses to different sounds and movements and things that are a little more specific to therapeutic riding. Yeah, good. Is it unusual to have a driving aspect to a therapeutic? I don't know that I've ever heard that. It's not Uh unusual, but it's also not common. Therapeutic driving under our governing body of PATH International, Mm -hmm. there are only about 100 certified driving instructors for individuals with disabilities, of which I am one. Yay. But most programs are unable to accommodate a large carriage vehicle and the staff that it takes to maintain those horses. So we're in a just a unique situation that we are able to offer therapeutic driving. We actually have a wheelchair accessible accessible vehicle wow. on the way thanks to the Christopher Reeves Grant Foundation. Oh, um, it will be fantastic. here later this month or next month and our students who were unable to participate perhaps even in our current carriage driving program because they need the support of the wheelchair, many of those students will now also be able to pull right in and have hands on the lines controlling the Oh, that is so cool. And how do you source your horses? Because they must have to come already completely comfortable with pulling. Yeah? Yes. So our big guy, oh goodness, we just have wonderful relationships with people in our area and our current large draft horse came to us as a referral from one of the mounted units. Ah. It was the Phoenix mounted unit. And we have a great relationship with the Scottsdale mounted unit as well. But we just have feelers out there all the time. And we're just so lucky to be in this area where there are an abundance of wonderful horses available. I guess so. That's amazing. Well, I'm so glad to get to know a little bit about Camelot and really nice to meet you too. And, you know, if people can look you up. I think you're you're well worthy of the support and you're doing a great thing out there. Hannah, I appreciate you being on Horsemanship Radio to tell us about it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. A couple of years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, mm-hmm. but we, we had you on a, a number of our shows talking yeah. about the Equus Online University, which had just yeah. come out. It has developed. It's become better with the search engine in it, and it's become better with the forum because we have such an amazing forum. You know, a lot of those forums, people get on there and go, oh, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yeah, usually it's, it ends up with the whiners on forums. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's not. What I see is a mentoring. Actually, it's it's almost the polar opposite because the, we, we do give these rosettes out for people who've completed so many lessons. And once the rosettes started, now we have we're up to five rosettes uh, for somebody who's watched every lesson. And you you have those rosettes by your forum uh, personality and your profile. And so you can really see who's watched all these things. So it gives them credibility when they come in and say, hey, if you watch this lesson. So people come on there and they're using it as a, as a training tool, frankly, you know, and they get on there. And I and I'm not bragging on on the university as the greatest training tool, which I think it is, but it's also a great place for people to be mentored as they begin their journey with horses. Um, it really, it really is cool. So when they watch the lessons and they can watch them over and over again as many times as they want, they get the lesson notes, they get audio, they get visual, and then they've got the forum to kick around too. Plus, we've got now since 2004 every week. 
without fail, we put up a Q&A from Monty himself. He chose the question, he answered it, and we put it in a database. And that's actually free for everybody to search and get to. It's it's open on our Equus Online University. In other words, it's a non-subscriber open source forum too. Uh, not forum, but a Q&A base. The forum is not. You're, you're behind a subscriber wall for the forum just so we know who's talking. But it is... Um, it is it's been an incredible experience actually to put these together with Stefan Peters and Will Simpson. You know who I'm talking about. These, these guys have won everything yep. in their worlds and Charlotte Bredals. And, and if I get started, Rich, Richard Winters and so many guest lecturers that are on there too. So some people ask, why is it called university? Well, that's what a university is. It, it's not just one opinion. It's not just one deliverer, you know, and, and I think that's the difference between the, everybody is putting out a YouTube these days and they're free. So people ask us sometimes, why do you charge like up to $10 a month? And well, it's, it's expensive to make the university. Everybody knows quality is, is not cheap, but it, it's really our mission statement. And I know that sounds a bit trite, but it's true. <laughs> when, you, when you've worked at it for five years, just to get all that quantified and on there, they're just almost no subjects we haven't covered at this point. But, um, but dad and I were looking at the list and he goes, Hey, I'm going to be making videos until well into my 90s. And I went, yes, (laughs) promise and sign here. (laughs) So, so we do have, we do have a lot of subjects left to go and a lot of people we want to still get on there. What do you think of it, Glenn? Well, I think that one of the things about training horses as it, same as training anything, really, uh, is that you're, you're going through stages and you're always coming up to a new, problem to solve uh-huh. or a new issue to deal with. And what I like about the university now that you have so much content on there mm-hmm. is that whatever issue you're running into, there's going to be something on there to help you. So not many people are going to go on there and watch all, you know, all the videos mm-hmm. because there's just so many of them. What you're going to, what you're going to want to do is go on there and you're going to want to watch the videos that relate to the situation you're in currently with right. that particular horse. Um, and, and that's what I like about it is it has, it has so much content now that whatever you're dealing with, you're probably going to find an answer somewhere, somehow. And if not, you can go to the forum. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I, I really like about it is wherever you're at now is where you can find that situation. Plus, you know, YouTube is so full of crap now. And I'm not saying that every video on there is crap, but there are, we all know what we're talking about. Uh, there are some that are. And, you know, one of the things that, I really like about this is you know you can trust it. You know that w- what you're seeing is something you can trust. I've tried doing repairs on uh, appliances and things off of YouTube videos. <laughs> and, and you know, some of them are good. Some are not so good. And some, one of the things I couldn't get back together again. So, oh. <laughs> you know, it's, you know that, at least you didn't hurt yourself. That's right. Good. <laughs> so that's what I really like about it. And for that, yes, it costs a few, it costs a few pennies to do it, but it's worth it. You know, it's worth it to do it right. Yeah, that's it. And it is tried and true. Everything on there is so tried and true. If not, you know, we'd be, they'd be throwing tomatoes at us in the forum. <laughs> but it really does work. And, and we, we are so happy that, uh, so many people have been, um, interested enough at least to go there, you know, and I should plug in the, the website right now is, um, www.montyrobertsuniversity.com, um, because people can get a free day pass on there and go see what we're talking about and, and check out that search engine too. You can put in the weird little keywords 
and you find all kinds of crazy stuff. It really is cool. And it breaks it down by not just the lessons first, then it goes into the Q&A database, and then it goes into the forum. So you can actually pick and choose where you um, pick up those keywords from too. So um, it, it's great. And then you also have little challenge questions, which I love the little tests at the end. You know, there's always four questions at the end of your lesson to make sure that, you know, you were, you were watching. And if, if you get it wrong, it just says, want to try again? <laughs> and so you, by process of elimination, you get it right. And then it, it moves you on. And that's how you get your rosettes that you've accomplished that, um, that lesson and that you get to move on. But I, you know, what you just said is so important because when we were setting this, idea up. Um, nothing really existed like it. We didn't want it to be first you have to do one and then you have to do number two and then you have to do number three and like it was some sort of programmed process. Yeah, because that, that never go- works. It doesn't. It, <laughs> no. you know, because we wanted people who were amazing trainers to jump in there and go, this is what I, you know, what does Monty say about this or what does this trainer say about that? And they could be at a world-class level or it could be a very beginner saying, where do I start first? And you can you just go down the lessons if you want. But, you know, it's like you said, if all of a sudden you have a horse that won't load and you didn't have one last week that didn't load, you know, you go to the loading lessons right. and it's exactly. a whole series on it. And it's Monty. RobertsUniversity.com? That's it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Veterinarian, artist, and author Madison Siemens is a lifelong professional horseman. The author, Dr. Madison Siemens, and his book, Never Trust a Sneaky Pony and Other Things They Didn't Teach Me in Vet School, (laughs) is the result of his true experiences as a veterinarian in equine practice for over 30 years. This is a James Harriet meets Jeff Foxworthy approach to instruction and entertaining real-life adventures of a traveling horse doctor, because you can't make this stuff up. It's fairly extensive study on the common medical problems seen in horses and how they are diagnosed and treated. Madison was one of the seven presenters at the event we call The Movement, with the topic of how horses' vision influences their behavior. Well, welcome. Welcome back. Madison Siemens, I had so much fun with you earlier, about less than a month ago now. How are you? I'm doing terrific. It was it was a great time for us as well. It was just so good to be there at Flags Up with just that whole cast of characters that we had to interact with and use with. And I, I so enjoyed meeting Monty Roberts in person and, and seeing him work firsthand. And, and as I told you when I was there, I, I wish I lived closer, but I'm glad I don't. <laughs> because I, I, We'd just, be I just be there all the time. Yes, yes. Oh, well, if we can ever work that out, man, watch out because we would love to have you more often. And it was so fun that you brought your wife, Annette, with you. And we just, it felt like family. After three days, I, I don't think anybody wanted to go home, really. No, we didn't. And, and uh, Annette rarely lets me out of, out of the county without following me. She doesn't like it when I'm, I'm, I'm unsupervised. I do all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we heard that. No, we did not. We, we, buy, we, buy, 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 buy horses or veterinary equipment or something, you know, so yeah. she keeps a pretty tight rein on me. Well, I think, I think the highlight for me was introducing you to our, our certified instructor and, of course, co-host of the Horses in the Morning, Jamie Jennings, and putting you two together face-to-face for the first time. That was, I felt like a matchmaker. We've, we've had a lot of fun over the last couple of years with uh, that Horses in the Morning and the, the thoroughbred rehoming that she does. We've had, so, had a lot of fun with some of that. Well, and we've learned a lot from you two, too, and all her questions are genius. And today we're just going to explore a little bit about some specific topics, though, that you talked about down at the movement in Solvang. And I thought, though, 
since you're new to Horsemanship Radio, we'd get a little background on you. We we have uh, told the audience already, the listeners, that you are an author, a, an artist. I mean, I, I looked at your website and I thought, now how how does anybody jive who Dr. Siemens is when they read the website? And it's Cornerstone Equine Vet Idaho, where compassion meets technology. Now, I thought that was cute. I, I, I like that. But not only that, you have you have the, the website complete with books that you've written and art that you've done. Now, not too many vet, you know, websites do that. And I think that's what makes you special. Tell us a little bit about the, the book that you wrote, because I think that really gets into who Dr. Siemens is. Well, I sure thank you for that. That's so kind of you, Debbie. There's, you know, there's a lot of horse books out there and there's a lot of horse vet books out there, but I think mine is, is a little unique because well, James Harriet wrote that whole uh, All Creatures Great and Small series way back in the 70s. And, and he's there's, I don't know how many books he wrote, but they even made a television series about him. Yeah. And the, the difference, you know, James, everybody loves James Harriet. And, and he, you know, in his books, all of his patients lived and all of his clients loved him. I went to a different veterinary school, I guess, because some of my patients don't live and sometimes people get a little unhappy with me. So I try to write... I try to write about what we do with horses, why we do things with horses, how we, we approach a diagnostic plan and a treatment plan, and just how, how complicated some things are. I, I have a real sick sense of humor, so I always try to throw a little bit of that in there. It's pretty heavy and pretty serious, and if you can't, if you can't kind of lighten things up a little bit, it can get downright depressing. Oh, <laughs> but, sure. Well, that helps so we, us. That helps us horse owners, though. That you know, it's pretty stressy, right? You got a horse that's colicking. You got a horse that's got a leg cut open. You know, all those things. It, it must help a little bit to have a little a little smile in there. Well, and there's, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm sitting here in, in my office in Idaho right now, and I've I've got a a laminated note that a nine year old girl left me 20 years ago. And this this kid had been through two or three foster homes at nine. She's really had a rough life. She finally lands it landed in a place where they had the the people, the foster parents had, uh, have horses, and there were clients of mine at Sal and Manu. And so they bought her this really cool little Appaloosa pony. And I mean, this gal has landed in a great place for her. So she leaves me this note. I'm coming to look at her at her horse. She leaves me this note that says, "Dear vet, please take good care of me." And then she scratched out me. And said, "My horse. He's oh. the best horse, in me, and I want you to take care of him." Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Okay, the fact that you, you laminated that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. And there's 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 guys working on multi million dollar racehorses that don't get that kind of pressure. You, you, think, <laughs> you think I wasn't a little bit concerned about working on Pancho? Let me tell you, it was a it was an interesting day. But <laughs> yeah, we horse girls know what we're doing with that, you know. <laughs> yep. 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 That's wonderful. No, it's wonderful. And I think you do care. I mean, you really mean it when compassion meets technology. And you really, I mean, you, you're from Wilder, Idaho, but I know that you work with some pretty advanced stuff. And a lot of it's up in your brain. That's what I love about Dr. Siemens is <laughs> you're a student and you're a thinker and you keep studying and you have done enough study that you really have put yourself in a really unique place. And, you know, I mean, like some of the, I love on your website, how you have these recent topics area and it says hot days, hot horses. It's just a scratch, milkmaid, spoiled wine and dead chickens. 
Now, who isn't curious about what's Dr. Siemens thinking about today? You know, I, you know, I've learned so much on there too, but tell us a little bit about why, well, I'm going to reword that. I'm not going to say, why did you go to the movement? Cause I made you, but what were you there for to impart to people from all over the world who, who plugged into the movement? Well, I, I so appreciate you inviting me to come down there, and I, I just I felt really honored to be there and to be on a on a stage with with Monty Roberts and Temple Grandin and 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 the other instructors and people that you had. I uh, I was just really honored to be there, but I kind of felt like that Shetland pony that that guy entered into Kentucky Derby. His neighbor says you don't have any prayer that that pony's going to win, and he said no, but I thought just being exposed to that much class couldn't do me harm. <laughs> so. I, not true. Not true. You but, say that, but you know, you you were there for a very specific topic that I think is pretty darn critical and maybe a lot overlooked. Well, we we what my my part on the on the movement this year was was how vision influences behavior, and and we understand that that horses as prey animals they have a they have a different way of looking at the world so that they can avoid becoming prey animals. And some of what we know about vision has has changed dramatically in the recent 15 or 20 years. A lot of what we know about it, we've kind of extrapolated from what we know about human vision. But the horse sees the world a little differently. And so what we try to talk about a little bit there was was exactly what is it that makes them do the things they do because of the images that they perceive and how it gets processed in their brain. Yeah, that's a big statement right there. Repeat that one more time, because not everybody might get that. Well, it's, it's, I think it's important to understand that horses behave the way they do because of the way they perceive the world. Right. And once we start to understand some of those, there's, there's limitations, but there's also great advantages that the horse's visual tracks and their, and their ability to see, there's great advantages to them from, from the standpoint of, of their survival as a species. Oh, great. Okay, now give us an example of that because now people will get it. So the well, some of this is just pure conjecture. A okay. lot of it is based on some, uh, based on some pretty hard science. And so, the I think the the take home message on something like this is is that that a horse is is able to to see uh, in the dark is good or maybe not maybe even better than they can in the day because that's mm-hmm. when the predators are out and the horse perceives new images as a threat. So every time there's a new image, if they have not processed that in their brain as something that is safe, that will always be viewed as a threat. And so, and when you think about contrast in the background, camouflage predators are, are have an advantage if they're not moving. And so the horse has the ability to, see, to detect motion in low lighting situations. So motion is perceived as a new image. And so it has always been thought that the horse's right side of his brain was not wired up to his left eye. Well, that's just not true, and we can prove that in several different ways. The first way is once we, for example, if we're going to teach a horse to lunge, uh, it may take us, oh, a minute or two to teach a young horse to lunge to the left. When we switch sides and teach him to lunge to the right, it'll take half that time or less than half that time because he's he's remembering what he saw on the left side and he's able to to transpose that to the right. Uh, The other thing is that you get up in the high country and and you get lost. 
uh, first thing to do, well, don't throw away your compass, but just give the horse's head. He will turn around and go back to the trailer or to the last place he was fed almost without fail. So that tells you that 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 the images that he was seeing on on the left side of his brain got got superimposed on what he was seeing on the right because when you turn around and start going back, the world looks completely different because now you're going in an opposite direction. So we know that the horse's brain is wired up just like it's supposed to be. It's just a matter of when we get on the other side. For example, so you're fly spraying the horse. So you fly spray him on the left side, and then he's a little bothered by that. And then you go over to the right side, and it's just like, bang, where'd you come from? You know, it's like a whole new set of images. Well, it is, in a sense, a new set of images because the, the contrast of the background on his right side is going to be different than the contrast of your shape on the background on his left. And so behind you on the left side might be a tree or a barn, and then behind you on the right side might be a, a horse or a fence or a trailer or something, that whole, that whole contrast is going to present to the horse as a whole new set of images. And so until he knows who you are and to trust who you are and those new images get filed away into his brain in such, in such a, a, a fashion that he has learned who you are and what all these different shapes are meaning to him. And for example, if, he, if he's ever been attacked by a dog, he will probably always be worried by a dog Regardless of the shape, it's just that negative experience that reminds him, oh, yeah, those things will bite you. Whereas if he's had a positive experience with dogs, uh, those changes in shape as, as they go from left to right, all that is stored away in his brain. And so he will understand that this is no longer a threat. This is just part of day-to-day life. So the more we can show a horse all these different images, the less spooky they get, the more reliable they will get, and the more we will be able to build a a partnership, a relationship, not a not a master and a subject, but true partnership that uh, that I just think once we've established that with these amazing creatures, it just uh, it just goes a long way for a, for a lasting relationship that uh, it will last a lifetime of the horse, and we will both be safe. Mm-hmm. Very generous. Yeah, they are. They're very generous with their friendships, considering what we we sometimes put them through, and we're so impatient with uh, their learning. I, I, a great example of that, I loved your loading demonstration. I loved the conversation that you guys had between Jamie and Monty and you and showing us how horses' eyes adjust to that hole. But you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. We we think about about the accommodation of going from, from very, very dark setting to very light setting. And so when you walk out of a theater in the middle of the day uh, under, under the bright sunlight, it takes oh, 20 or 30 seconds for your eyes to accommodate to that sudden shift in lighting. Mm-hmm. Since the horse's eyes are designed to detect motion in low lighting, they're very, very good at seeing in low lighting. But the challenge is the transition between low lighting vision and bright lighting vision goes much more slowly than in the horse than it does in us. And so when we're moving out of a barn into a bright sunlight, or if we're moving out of a bright sunlight into a barn, or in my situation, if they're coming into my clinic, uh, they're coming into this dark hole that smells funny, the guy with the needles is there. I mean, they got all of these things to make them work. Now you're going to bring them into this dark area. Um, of course, it's going to take them a while to accommodate for that. So and Jamie, it was so it was so great when Jamie pointed out that when she's, she, uh, she rides high-level jumping horses, and she says when she warms up outside, and then takes them to an uh, inside arena, she will typically have trouble with that first jump. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to understand the horse is not being uncooperative. It's just that he can't see the dang thing. Mm-hmm. So if we if we were warm up inside or or bring the horse inside three or four minutes before you're due to show, and this is going to be the same with the, with barrel racing. This will be the same with with jumping with any type of event that you're moving from outdoor lighting into into indoor lighting. That that horse is. I need some time, three or four minutes to accommodate to that shift. And once you do that, then now you're setting this horse up to win. So now you're, you're if, you, if you bring him in like that where he's mostly blind, now, now you're setting him up to fail. And that's not, that's not fair to the horse. That's right. That's right. That was a, a perfect demonstration of that too. Now, uh, now I'm hearing people say, you know what, now I thought I had a horse that was a little difficult to load. If I just stand there for three, four minutes, they go like, I got this. <laughs> and they walk on yeah. the trailer. Yeah. So we may be trying to teach, discipline, train, whatever. And it's just a matter of adjusting the light. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. And, and you, sure. you did a little study on the pacifier while you were there, which was interesting. You saw the, uh, well, we, we, did a couple of things, centaur man with the head shy, but also putting that pacifier. And what, what was your ultimate takeaway from that? And we talked about it during the movement, but I'm not sure what you would say in, in a generalized statement. Now you learned from that. Well, well, again, I think it, I think it all goes back. That, that was fascinating. I don't know if people are, are, are aware of the pacifier. And if you're not, then uh, I would sure log on to those lessons at Monty Roberts, you, and, uh, and just see how, see that in action. And it uh, and when you when I first learned about that and when I looked at some of those videos, it it took me a while to wrap my little walnut sized brain around exactly what was happening, mm-hmm. and and so again I think it all goes back to to new images and new shapes are going to present a potential threat or not a threat, and so I think when when we put the pacifier on and we block a portion of the horse's images a portion of of his vision. So he had, he had that one horse that was really bad to rear up and fall over backwards. And as soon as we put the pacifier on her that blocked the upper part of her vision, uh, she quit doing that. And the reason she quit doing that is because she couldn't see where she was going. And and so I just I found that just so fascinating. And and then the uh, the centaur man was just so cool. Uh, some folks may not have seen that, but that he Monty demonstrated this his working with a horse that was really head shy. And but when he got on another horse and approach that horse it was a totally different image and so this horse was not head shy from a person on another horse because now this is a whole different image so a, a horse that's a, a person that's elevated on another horse is a is a completely different image than a guy standing on the ground going for this horse's ear apparently the horse that had or maybe the horse that had a negative experience with somebody handling his ear and so now we've got a new person, a whole new image, a whole new shape, a whole new everything, because now the guy's sitting up on the back of a horse. Right. So this is, not being, this is not being registered as a threat-type posture or a threat-type image because it's a different shape. It's a different, right. it's a, all of this is totally different. So it was so cool to watch this. And, th- and then the neat thing about the way the horse learns and about this horse's the, the memory tracks is that once he figured out that we weren't going to hurt his ear, then it was really e- an easy transition to work back down on the ground and you could touch his horses here with, with impunity. Yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, I got this. Okay, you didn't hurt me. We're laughing. So, I mean, that, 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 whole, that, that whole progression uh, from, from this, this state of fear to this state of, of, of understanding and, and, and acceptance of, of, a, of a partnership, of a non-threatening situation, I just, 
I love it. That was so fun to watch. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, it just shows what your talk was so important. I mean, vision is so big with horses. It's very much like Temple Grandin says. Uh, Temple Grandin being another presenter we had who has written books like Thinking in Pictures and uh, Animals in Translation. You know, it's, it's so much visual thinking is is in the flight animal. And autistic autistic people have a lot of visual, sensory perception and, and visual things too. So it's so fascinating this these mammals that we are you know and how we we cross reference uh, our different survival mechanisms i guess i would call it yeah absolutely yeah yeah well it was it was so much fun to have you what was a highlight that's all oh, maybe an unfair question but because I mean, you got to go to solving with your wife and all these fun things but it, was there a memory from your trip that um, you took home i just i think the highlight was was just uh was meeting your dad and uh, and just visiting with him, and and we did spend a little one-on-one time together where there was nothing recorded, and uh, he he showed me uh, some of the things he'd done with uh, with the ropes, and uh, we walked into the training barn there and, and visited with a two-year-old third-grade filly that just uh, it was just so enjoyable being with your dad, just watching him work, understanding more of the, of the whole joint-up principle, mm-hmm. and and just being there on that place, it was just amazing. There was just I, I only wish that we'd have had more time for all of us to visit and to kind of brainstorm. I know there was a lot of stuff going on at the time, but uh, I look forward to being there again and, and uh, just visiting with more of the of the folks and brainstorming and, and having some fun. Love to have you back. Love to have you back. We'll get rid of this COVID thing and um, and all join it. We won't worry about this live streaming thing anymore. <laughs> we'll, we'll all go rub shoulders and it'll be fun again. Yeah. So thank you again for joining us, not only on Horsemanship Radio, but certainly for the movement 2020. And for people who don't know what the movement is, we have, this is our third annual, and it is really outstanding humans and outstanding horsemen, you know, in their own rights. Some people were less horsemen and more human interaction who got the 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 crossover to how the flight animal horses help us humans. It's not the other way around, really. And we're, we want to highlight those people that are changing the world. And Dr. Madison Siemens is definitely one of those. Oh, thank you so much. You're very kind. Look forward to coming down there again. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in The magic in the language of Dear Monty, I'd love some advice to help more safely handle my 11-year-old quarter horse gelding. He's a former ranch horse who we believed he was handled roughly, and he can go from being relaxed to spooky and reactive. He typically seems to be more reactive when in an enclosed space and feels trapped. I have worked hard over the past year to build up his trust. Monty's answer. Thank you very much. This is an interesting and informative question. One must first remember that horses never forget anything. With that in mind, we must be aware that circumstances involving their environment will call to mind past experiences. It is gratifying that you've observed the volatile behavior when your horse is in a small 
and confining area. It will be fun for you to continue to investigate what promotes these behaviors. I suggest that you begin to repeat these experiences incrementally, deepening the environmental factors. And once you recognize an area of concern, rub your horse, scratch his withers, rub his head, and attempt to cause him complete comfort without the suspicion that you could be violent. You will see a gradual improvement and it will cause you to become more aware of all of the traits, positive and negative, that your horse expresses. Thank you for the question and let us know how it goes. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. August 17th through 28th, we have that course called Gentling Wild Horses, and we have a fun format set out for people who are brave enough to come do it with us. And then September 11th through 13th, we have Christy Landwehr's CHAEFM, the Equine Facility Management Certification at Flag is Up Farms. We also have, on the same weekend, a horse sense and healing for veterans and first responders. So we're holding those with less than 10 veterans in it, and we're really, really pleased that we can do that. And then we have, in October, we have the Monty Special Training, October 12 through 16. That, again, is at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. And if you didn't put all of that to memory, I know I didn't, go to MontyRoberts.com where you'll find Monty's calendar and so much more. Or you can give the fine folks at Flag is Up Farms a call by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, episode 164, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com and you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's topics and guests. And we love your feedback. Debbie always wants more ideas on who to talk to and what to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, and you can give her those things by going to Facebook. Go to Facebook, type in Monty Roberts, like and follow the one with the little blue check mark because that's the official page. And Monty is also on other social media platforms. That's going to be Twitter and Instagram. And his handle on both is Monty underscore Roberts. So follow him there. Get the apps. So you don't miss any of the Horse Radio Network shows, including this one, Horsemanship Radio. Our app works on iPhone and Android. If you're not tech savvy, hand your phone to a seven-year-old. They'll download it for you. It's free and easy to use. <laughs> your grandchild. They, or you can okay. go old school and you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Can't believe you're saying that's old school to us. Aye. Aye. <laughs> Many thanks to our sponsors, too. We couldn't do it without you. That's Finish Line Fencing and Monty Roberts University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.